Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation, or needs. And another note before we begin, we're in the second week of our competition to win a copy of The Little Book That Builds Wealth by Pat Dorsey with a foreword from our founder, Joe Mansueto. The book provides a sensible framework for identifying companies that can sustain high returns on capital, really just looking at moats and why they matter. Yeah, and getting your hands on one of these copies is pretty simple. You've just got to leave a rating and a comment through your podcast app. Email us to the email that's in the episode notes um, just to let us know you've done it and who you are. And we'll run this competition until the 31st of July, and then we'll pick our winners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Mark, we're in part two of a two-part series, so this makes it the sequel. What is your favorite sequel? Okay, this is this is a tricky one. You, you know, I don't think that there's I don't think that there's one movie that we've actually seen other than when you made me watch V for Vendetta. Yeah. The same movie. Every movie I tell you about, you haven't seen. And, so, you know, I I bet you felt pretty vindicated. We actually got some emails from listeners of the podcast saying that they agreed that V for Vendetta was an awful movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that wasn't something I was nervous about. No. But um but okay, so I would say my favorite sequel is Terminator 2. Now, have you seen that? I ha- I was very young when I saw it, but I do remember he was like a robot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember he was he was a Terminator, <laughs> yeah. and by he you're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, soon to be governor, governor of California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm surprised actually you watched that because you told me your parents wouldn't let you watch TV when you were a kid. Yeah, there were a few years where we weren't allowed, but you know, uh, but it was fine to just transition into Terminator, <laughs> Terminator movie too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one sequel that I don't like, and that is. Lockdown Part 2 here in Sydney. So, uh, you know, in this sequel, we have all the same terrible characters telling us what to do <laughs> at press conferences. And the villain this time is, get this, Shawnee, twice as contagious, which is exciting. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and we've got a plot twist, right, that we are eight months behind pretty much the rest of the world in terms of vaccination. So yeah, good um, time here in Sydney. I was really excited about you saying Terminator 2, because I thought you were going to ask me what my favorite sequel was, and then I get to spend the next 10 minutes talking about Harry Potter. But um, that was a very, <laughs> after that somber note, we might just get started, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, stay tuned to a future podcast where Shawnee does go on her, we'll call it a rant about yeah. uh, about <laughs> Harry Potter. But anyway, um, so sorry to start on a depressing note. But, uh, but anyway, let's get into the episode. So the two of us had had quite a debate on how to cover this topic, and truthfully, it is pretty hard. So in the first episode, we talked a little bit about the financial advice landscape in Australia. So we covered the surge of new investors and the social media finfluencers that many of these new investors are turning to for guidance. So in summary, we've seen people square off into two opposing camps here. So for simplicity's sake, let's call one the old white man camp, and then we'll call the other one the young, ignorant, and inexperienced camp. <laughs> okay, so I think you're going to have to provide a little bit of an explanation for those two names that you've come up with. Okay, I thought it was perfectly clear, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, basically, I've just named the two camps in the way that they're portrayed by those in the opposing camp. 
So on one side, we have the financial services industry and sophisticated investors. And on the other hand, we have millennial finfluencers. So sophisticated investors and the credentialed and licensed financial services industry looks at the guidance coming out of millennial finfluencer camp and disparages it for being simplistic and misleading. And then the millennial finfluencers look at the industry and say that it is exclusive, makes things overly complex, and has a shocking history of putting their own interests ahead of investors. So I think they're both right about each other. And that's really a way of just saying that I think they both have a lot of faults. But that's my opinion. So what about you, Shani? Yeah, um, I do agree, Mark. And I guess what I will say is that one of the reasons I like my job and I like Morningstar is that we get to go out to bat for individual investors. And we're given a lot of freedom in terms of the ways that we get to do that, which we don't really see a lot of in the industry. And that's why these influences have started to pop up. There is a certain rigidity to financial services, which really prohibits the people who actually need access to these resources from getting the right help. Some of this rigidity is structural and some of it is the culture and approach. This structural rigidity comes from regulatory frameworks and legislation, which are not agile enough to change with the evolving landscape of financial advice. And the culture and approach has traditionally excluded basically everyone, but the informed and high net words, which realistically aren't the people who need this help. And when Finfluencers started to pop up, I was really quite excited at the prospect of accessible, relatable financial education. At the surface level, it was so encouraging to see my friends actively engaging with this content, but But as I started to consume it myself and look below the surface, I was pretty quick to realize that they weren't building the foundational financial knowledge that new investors need to make educated decisions. Most of this content was superfluous performance, misleading statistics and information, albeit with relatable and engaging delivery. And when you dig a little deeper, you realize that most of these people have absolutely no financial background, and the majority of the most popular Finfluencers actually have a marketing background. So they've found a captive audience who are really just looking to help themselves and build better lives, a very emotional need, and in most instances, taking advantage of that and sending them down the wrong path. So there's definitely blame on both sides. The industry is inaccessible and has a history of taking advantage of investors, and the new sources of information out there don't really serve the purpose it sets out to do. All right. So I think we're both in agreement that we think both of these camps are on the wrong side. So, Shani, who is our dog in this fight? (laughs) I think it's Wasabi, the winner of the Westminster Dog Show. Do you think he wins many fights? Yeah. Well, I saw a tweet where someone declared that a blonde wig found on a Walmart parking lot was the winner of the Westminster Dog Show. So (laughs) thinking probably doesn't win a lot of fights. Um, Well, I think that the dog that we have in this fight between the old white man and the young and inexperienced camp is all of you, the end investor. Yeah, and that's right, Johnny. So let's focus this episode on what investors can do and expand a bit on why this matters and what you can focus on as an investor. And I would like to say something about you, Shani, because you actually bridge both of these camps. That I'm an old and inexperienced white man? or <laughs> um, I've got to say that I've been called a bunch of things in my life, but that's probably a first, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, you heard it here first. But yeah, no, I know, uh, I know most of what I say about you involves your love of Harry Potter and your frankly, shameful track record of bowling, but it is good for listeners to get a little more of an expansive view of you. So one of my many, many favorite things about you is that you are a passionate advocate for investors. And I think you're especially a passionate advocate, as you said before, for investors who have traditionally been marginalized by the financial services industry. And that includes young people and women. And the other thing that's really, really important that people should know about you is that um, 
I know how important it is for you to be a credible advocate for investors. And I've watched you work really, really hard to gain that knowledge and the perspective that's needed to actually do that. That's actually really nice, Mark, though. I hope you don't expect me to start saying nice things about you. Oh, no. <laughs> you, would, very you, nice. you would have to think nice things about me before <laughs> saying nice things. But as I've said many times, I am your biggest fan. But anyway, let's move on a little bit. So if we're going to base this episode on the end investor, then let's start with the regulatory body that's responsible for the end investor. And that, of course, is ASIC. Yeah, so ASIC's vision is for a fair, strong and efficient financial system for all Australians. That seems simple enough and hard to argue against. Their mission has four bullet points, but I'm drawn to the last one, which states they strive to help Australians to be in control of their financial lives. And I'm on board. I know Mark's on board. That's a mission that we can get behind. ASIC has a wide remit, but one of their regulatory agendas is oversight of financial advice. Yeah. And as we talked about in the first episode, the financial industry is in, I don't know, disarray is kind of the best word that I can come up for it. So the Hain Royal Commission uncovered abuses that humbled the industry and actually the very regulator that was charged with preventing abuses in the first place. And we went through this typical cycle, right? And it's been repeated throughout history. Abuse led to reform and reform led to a sigh of relief and the opportunity for everyone just to move on. And here we sit with a discredited advice industry that's hemorrhaging advisors and fewer and fewer Australians are getting financial advice. Yeah. And who is for the void? The Finfluencers, of course. Self-righteous Finfluencers say they have no influence over the investment decision-making of their audience. They're simply there to motivate. Then they turn around and sell access to their audience to investment product providers. I'm not privy to their marketing pitches to some of the world's largest financial services companies, but I can't imagine it's based on their lack of influence over their followers. Yeah. And meanwhile, back in out-of-touch old white man camp, (laughs) we have cries for a crackdown and more regulatory scrutiny. And historically, this hasn't exactly been a crowd that has embraced those two concepts. So I'm pretty skeptical of this. Seems self-serving. It seems out of character. And uh, especially calling for all this under the guise of investor best interests. I like that you're the spokesman for the out-of-touch old white man camp. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you tell me that every day, so I thought you would get a, get a kick out of that. So anyway, all of this disarray, it's happening when we are still in a pretty big time of transition. So as a society, we've made a conscious decision to shift responsibility for financial well-being to individuals. So we've done this against the backdrop of lengthening lifespans and this proliferation of investment products. So in Australia, you still have the safety net of the aged pension, but the expectations of a lot of our society um, for their life and their retirement lifestyle exceeds what the aged pension can provide. So saving investing is no longer a choice. So there's this self-reliance crowd that waxes poetically about the virtues of empowering individuals without actually providing any of the tools to do it. So is financial literacy taught in schools? Of course not. Do we have a regulatory regime that's designed to provide affordable financial advice to anyone that wants it? We're not even close. So what we do have is a shrinking financial advice industry with a checkered history, charging fees that make sense for only a fraction of Australians. And then we have a bunch of marketers masquerading as financial experts, trying to dumb down investing so it fits into an Instagram post. We could go on all day about this, but the key question is what you can do about it. Well, let's start with something that the two of us really believe in. Being a successful investor is hard, but anyone can do it. And the influencers are right on that point when they say that anyone can become a successful investor. And to be clear, successful investing is achieving your goals. What they're not right about is how easy it is. To be a good investor requires perspective. 
Perspective should not be confused with experience, but that of course helps. Perspective is a two-step process. The first is gain foundational knowledge. The second is do some thinking, get a bit philosophical and come up with an intellectual framework that works for you. Easy to say and harder to do. Yeah, so that's right, Shani. So to paraphrase Warren Buffett, the first step is simple but not easy. So we got Buffett in there. Remember, we used to have the Buffett <laughs> drinking game so people can uh, so people can drink now. But what do we mean by this? So understand different investment products and different asset classes. Learn basic financial accounting. Learn how to value investments so that you know the difference between a DCF model and an Instagram model. <laughs> Second step means you have to read a couple books, which – you know, involves a little bit of effort, right? Which we're trying to help with with this competition. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, what you'd read. So read Jeremy Siegel's The Future for Investors to understand that successful investing isn't about results, but about how those results compare to expectations. Read chapter eight and 20 of The Intelligent Investor. And, you know, you can read the rest of it if you're concerned that you're going to flee the Libyan. So you're in a parking lot and the Libyans show up <laughs> and you jump in a DeLorean and you go back in time when railroad bonds are the investment of the day. Um, that was a reference to another movie you've probably never seen, Back to the Future. I've seen Back to the Future. Wow, we're on a roll here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can read The Super Investors of Graham and Doddsville because it's short and you need to think about value investing because chances are you'll either become a militant value investor or you'll make fun of them for being curmudgeon antiques. You can read Thorndike's The Outsiders because at some point it's good to know that you're actually investing in a real company and that being a contrarian might actually pay off. And I could go on and on and on. But as you know, Shani, most of the books I read are full of pictures. <laughs> so the point of foundational knowledge is so when you read, you can think and not spend all your time trying to define the different terms in the book. And the reason that you want to spend time thinking is because you want to get an intellectual framework that governs your approach to investing. And this intellectual framework is really important because ultimately what is going to make people successful investors is not if they are large cap growth investors or deep value investors or momentum investors or passive investors. It is if they are consistent and patient and resilient and more than anything else, if they stick to their plan. So reading a wide range of diverse investment approaches teaches you that there's no right or wrong way to invest. Yeah, and lots of people have been successful taking lots of different approaches, but only one approach will work for you, and that is the one that resonates with you to a degree that you will stick to it. So having a framework will prevent you from deciding at the peak of the market that income investing isn't for you and all your money is going into crypto, and it will prevent you from going to cash in a bear market. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSite's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. As I outlined earlier, I don't have a lot of confidence that any of these influencers have a framework. The reason I suspect this is because a lot of the foundational information they present is wrong. You can tell that they're just repeating things they've heard or skimmed. 
There was this Instagram post the other day talking about big cap stocks. I've never heard the term, so I Googled it. Turns out the first thing that came up was an Investopedia article that said large cap stocks, also known as big caps, are shares with a market capitalization of $10 billion or more. This influencer in particular is self-righteous about the industry looking down on millennials. I'm a millennial and yeah, I don't like it when people look down on my generation, but that is why most of the stuff by the influencers isn't good enough. Regurgitating something from Investopedia and passing it off as a meaningful insight isn't helpful to my generation or the people reading the post. Yeah, and this same influencer that posted this, I had an exchange with this person yesterday. Yeah, which you were like – as a third party, you were very polite about. Yeah, no, I sent Shawnee the message. I think after I sent it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, this person put up something that was completely wrong, and I pointed that out. And and you offered your help. He said, "I said I'd go through all their posts and point out the inaccuracies." Yeah. Now I don't know if that's. <laughs> I was trying to be helpful, and yeah, I yeah. and I did say that I was trying to be helpful, but uh, I basically got blown off, mm-hmm. which I'm used to. So you know. That, uh, that part at least felt natural. I mean, like Mark shared the exchange with me and I think what I found quite ironic was she tried to, um, as soon as Mark sort of called her out on it, she went ahead and um, filled all of her messages with lots of jargon and um, lots of acronyms. And um, I thought that was quite funny coming from someone who's supposed to simplify investing concepts. But anyway. Yeah, she was trying to confuse me. She was trying to do exactly what the financial services yeah. industry <laughs> yeah. does. That's what I thought. And I'm often confused. So, uh, <laughs> so it is a, it is a good strategy. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to what we're talking about, I think the important thing is that there's a big distance between knowing something and understanding something. So our goal for this podcast is to build an audience that understands investing and understanding something is more than a collection of facts. And you know, this, like in this age, Google, is a couple clicks away. You can learn any fact with just a simple search. But yeah, so one of, one of Mark's first guides that he wrote, um, I I read it and um, he asked for some feedback. And one of my favorite lines from it was, "After a quick trip to the internet." <laughs> so yeah, you did you did think that was that was funny, Shani? Shani actually put together this whole document of things that I said that she thought were funny, and uh, she gave it to me as a Christmas present. Most of it was endearing. Most Wouldn't of it, you agree? Most of it was endearing. Um, but yeah, she didn't spend a lot of money on that Christmas present, but it was, it was nice. We went to the pub to, uh, to have it be presented. Yeah. And I still have it and I look at it every once in a while. When you want to feel bad about yourself. <laughs> I feel bad about myself all the time, okay. Shawnee. But let's, uh, let's get back to the difference between knowing something and understanding something. So yeah, as I said, facts are a couple clicks away, but it takes a little more time to, actually understand something, but anyone can actually get there. And we believe passionately that anyone can become a successful investor because there's no IQ required. There's no credential required. I, I'm i a CFA charter holder. And yeah, the exam was rigorous and it took a lot of preparation, but it involves no thinking. And you know, at least for that exam, they tell you what to study. You memorize it. And you spend three years of your life preparing for and taking this test. But yeah, it's a standardized test. It doesn't capture any of the nuance about investing in the real world and none of the understanding that's actually needed. So the advice industry constantly reinforces this notion that investing is so hard that people can't do it, but you can. 
Yeah, and this is, of course, self-serving from an industry that makes fees off products and services. And this is where the Finfluencers are right. The industry does do a terrible job of engaging with investors and educating investors. They do this because they're trying to reinforce this notion that you need them. They use jargon because they don't want you to understand what they're saying. They use jargon because they don't understand the concepts well enough themselves to explain it in plain English. The test of true knowledge often simply comes down to the ability to explain something clearly enough that the general public can understand it. And that's the genius of Buffett. All right. So we're going to finish up this episode by taking a little bit of a pivot here. So at the beginning of part one, we said that all investors should care about this topic. And that means that even if you are sophisticated, invest on your own, don't seek out financial guidance through social media or perhaps even knew that any of this social media stuff actually existed, this still impacts you. And why you should care has a lot to do with this surge of new retail investors that have entered the market. So in our episode, The Four Words Every Investor Should Know, we talked about what it means to have expectations being priced into the market. Go back and listen to the episode, but the gist of it is that the price of a stock or the market is, in general, reflects the consensus of the future expectations of millions of investors. Yeah, and we'll come back to that concept in a second. But first, we need to talk about what Wall Street so nicely calls dumb money. <laughs> and this dumb money is what Wall Street refers to as individual do-it-yourself investors. So really endearing. So any any wonder why people actually think the investment industry is out of touch. But anyway, this surge of new investors means that individuals are becoming a bigger and bigger part of the market. And remember, market prices are driven by supply and demand. So the more individual investors there are, the bigger influence they have over market prices. And that influence is growing. 10 million new brokerage accounts were opened in the first half of 2021 in the US, and 2 million new investors in Australia have started in the last year and a half, and that is reflected in two figures. Individuals have poured $140 billion into the stock market globally so far in 2021, which is 33% more than in the same period in 2020. In June, individual investors bought nearly $28 billion of stocks and exchange-traded funds on a net basis, the highest monthly amount deployed since at least 2014. In 2020, individual investors accounted for 20% of US equity trading volumes. That is double what it was the year before. In January of 2021, that figures 26%. Yeah. So in the spirit of taking a couple facts and trying to foster some understanding, let's put these two facts together. Market prices are a reflection of the expectations of the future from investors. More and more of these expectations are the expectations of individual investors, especially new investors. So the question is, what are these expectations? What are the expectations of the investors that started investing in the past two years, which doubled the volume of overall trading that individuals do? Well, it's obviously hard to know the individual expectations of millions of people, but a good clue is looking at who they turn to for advice and who sets those expectations. And that, of course, is the Finfluencers. It is the people that post on these Reddit and Facebook groups. And these expectations being set are pretty clear. Investing is easy, whether you're investing in speculative stocks or thematic ETFs or crypto or SPACs or even more sensible investments. The message is the same. Invest your money and watch things go up. Recency bias is something that impacts all investors, and that just means that investors are more heavily influenced by recent events. And most millennials, myself included, don't have any experience with the bear market. We did have the 2020 bear market, which was a significant fall, but that lasted a matter of weeks. Our investing careers have been characterized by rising markets, which have generally given outsized rewards to people who have gone further out on the risk spectrum. Since January 1st, 2009, the S&P 500 returned over 13% a year. 
From a historical basis, that just isn't normal. So the question, of course, is what happens when markets start to fall? Because they will at some point. What happens when the reality in investment accounts doesn't match up the rosy picture painted on Instagram and on Facebook? Will these investors be resilient and focus on the long term? Do they have the investment framework that acts as a governing philosophy to get them through the tough times? Do they understand investing enough to not follow the herd? So let's end this with a post on one of the testosterone-driven Facebook boards where speculation is the name of the game. The poster asked, anyone here hold ETFs as part of your portfolio? Pretty safe thing to set and forget an average 10% a year on conservative ones and more on high growth sectors. Yes, I know it sounds low, but better than bank interest rates. Yeah, so that does seem like a perfect place to end this. So I hope everyone enjoyed this two-part look at what is going on with social media and in the advice industry in general. If you enjoyed it or hated it, let us know. My email address is in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate your supporting our mission of trying to foster more understanding about investing by recommending our podcast to your friends. And finally, we will uh, we will end on one note. So remember, we talked about the psychic. <laughs> we did. So for those that did not listen to this previous episode. The psychic episode, at the bar. Exactly. We went to a bar and we saw a psychic after numerous cocktails. And what did the psychic say to you, Shani? That I would be pursuing further education. Yes. So I'm incredibly proud of Shani. She has recently gotten into grad school and will be starting that in three weeks, which is really exciting, but don't worry. She is uh, she's going to take <laughs> full-time work, and full-time full-time work study. <laughs> and full-time study, which is incredible and something only Shani could do. So I think it's a good place to end this episode because we talk so much about how important it is to continue to build knowledge and further yourself. And you are the perfect example. I'm a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So please leave any comments and ratings and remember that competition we have for a book. Thank you guys very much. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.